been looking at King Asa this last three, four, five weeks. Next week, we're going to finish up with the king. There's a great turn in his life next week. And the great light that he has and has been in Judah sadly becomes dim. He allows things into his life. He allows things to happen to him that the light is dim. We're going to be looking at that, God willing, next week and perhaps learn from how a man fell from such a great witness to, 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 to such a place where there was no light uh, coming from him. We're going to learn from him next week, but that's not what we're going to be looking at this week. We're going to be reading from chapter 14, verse 7 through to 15 this morning. Now, the theme is it's one on dependence. The title is The Wrestle Between Dependence and Independence. It's, it's learning to run to the Lord Jesus first when we need help and we need strength. Um, yes, we'll put that up now. I meant to say it on, we'll put that up at the end, but it's fine now. We'll put it up now, it's grand. Um, and we can put it up at the end again. But look at it just when it is up. Uh, I don't need, I don't need, I do, I do, I do. And sometimes, not sometimes, but all the times in our life we will constantly be brought to the place where we will see our need of the full de dependence upon the, the Lord. It's, it's, I guess, it's resisting the urge to be self-reliant outside of Christ. It's in us. It's in us all. We are all naturally independent. We try to fix everything ourselves. Isn't that right? Uh, we try to do everything ourselves. It's something that's in us. But what isn't natural for us as Christians is to be fully reliant on God. So I want to tap into that today, that we would learn, even maybe not learn, but remember today that we are to be reliant on God in our, in our situations, in, in, the, in the difficulties and in our afflictions. To turn to Him, which sometimes can be the hard place to turn to in the day of trouble, instead of going elsewhere, which can be the testimony of us all. We need to be reminded in the day of affliction that we turn to God. Let us read then from verse 7 through, for chapter 14, verse 7 through, and we'll just see where I stop. So, and King Asa said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars, for the land is still ours because we, because we have sought the Lord. Think of that. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. Think of that alone. We have sought him and he has given us peace in our affliction. And so they built and they prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah armed with large shields and spears. He had 280,000 men from Benjamin who carried shields and drew bows. And all these were mighty men of valor. Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of one million men and 300,000 chariots, and came as far as Marisha. And Esha went out to meet him, and they drew up their, their lines of battle in the valley of, of Zapatha at Marisha. And Esha cried to the Lord, his, excuse me, his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help. Think of this prayer. Between the mighty and the weak. Now help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let man not prevail against you. And so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians. We'll end the word, the reading of the word there. So Father, we thank you for your written word. Father, we pray this morning that Lord God, you would, Lord, help us as we wrestle with that desire within us to, Lord, run elsewhere, our God, to fix things ourselves. 
Lord, to, to, be, to be sat in that closet place and to seek you in the day of affliction can be hard, God. Lord, all the wrong thoughts can infiltrate our hearts and minds, God. And Father, we pray this morning by your Spirit that, Lord God, you would open this truth to us, that, Lord, you would help us see you, your name as a strong tower to be run to, not to be run away from. That, Father, in you there is comfort. God, there's victory in that name. The, the Scripture teaches that, that there's victory in no other name but that name of Jesus, who, who, is, a, who is our God, who is our King, is our Comforter our protector. And Father, I pray this morning that you would hedge us in in Jesus' name, that we would know, Lord, your presence. God, that we would know the touch of God. That, Father, you would begin to move and speak into our hearts and lives. That, Lord, we would leave here, Lord, not just informed today, but, Lord, set free and built up and encouraged, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. We quote from C.S. Lewis, Lewis always helps us move on. He says this, you may forget that you are at every moment totally dependent upon God. It's true, isn't it? And that brings us to our title. The, the, the wrestle between dependence and independence is a very real wrestle in your life and in my life. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon says this, do not become self-sufficient. This is a man who proved God and served God. He says, do not become self-sufficient. For self-sufficiency is Satan's net where he catches men like poor silly fish and he destroys them. Be not self-sufficient. The way to grow strong in Christ is to become weak in yourself. For God pours no power into a man's heart till man's power is all poured out. Live then daily a life dependent on the grace of God. Live then daily a life dependent on the grace of God. Now, what we see in our text, what we looked at last week, is that, that Judah, the nation, God's people, has now put her full reliance of the Lord, her full dependence on the Lord. We see that because idolatry has been removed. She's made the God, her one and only God, to be worshipped. And as a result, we see the nation is now secured She's been surrounded with strong walls and, and towers and gates. We looked at that. And she's prospering. We've read that this morning. She's in a time of peace and rest. But then we see in verse 9, everything changes in an instant. It's not, it's not just our life at times. We can be in a real good place and everything can be as it ought to be. And then all of a sudden, there's something comes to our door. And we see that in verse 9. We see that Judah is threatened with war. The enemy has come to the door and she's knocking. She wants to destroy her. A man called Sarah, Sarah an Ethiopian, or your Bible might say, your translation might say a Cushite, an Ethiopian. Now, historians believe that, that Sarah is both, was born in Ethiopia, that he married into the royal family line of Egypt, and therefore he inherited the throne and became the king of Egypt. Now, listen, that's not too important for us, Today, we're not in a Bible study, but what is important is for us to understand that after 10 years of peace, trouble has come to the door of Judah. We need to see that. See, as believers in Christ, what we know to be true is that we have received peace for the soul. We're at rest. Isn't that right? We're, we're, once we're saved, we've got a peace in our soul. We, we see that as being born again. 
And that is something that we can't lose as such. But peace for the soul doesn't mean that trouble will not come knocking to our doors we see in Judah. Because the Christian is at peace with God, but we're not at peace with this world yet. This world is not a place for the Christian at all. In this world, we will all have our first share of sorrows to contend with. And, and that's what the, the Bible does a good job of, 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 re of encouraging the church with, that you know, when, when affliction comes, it's, it's not abnormal. Because how poor and how weak would our, our faith be if we, made, if we were told all these anti-promises that everything's going to be great? And we'd be sitting here going, well, actually, it's not that great. But we'll, we'll read the promises anyway and we'll let on. But, but it doesn't say that to us. It tells us truth. It brings reality that the Christian indeed is at, is at peace with God, but not this world. But what I see is that when we are faced with these difficulties in life, our reliance on, on, on Christ is strengthened. You see that? Because when all's well, we don't really need Christ, to be fair. When the cupboards fall, and the fields is full, and the barns is full, and the bank is full, and the, the tank of fuel is full. Well, sure, it's all great. But, but, when, but when it's not, where does our religion stand if it stands on that alone? But it, there, there's something about, throughout all the stories within Scripture, that God brings all these great leaders to place, a place of reliance, where they must be reliant on Him. And it's a difficult place to be. And what I see here, then, is that the church as a whole must learn that in the day of trouble to run towards the Lord and not away from Him, which is so tempting. See, at, our t at times, and certainly in my own life, my understanding of God and the Christian life can be off balance, and I guess yours can be too. See, if, if our understanding of the Christian life is off balance and then trouble comes through our door, what we will do is we will run everywhere but the Christ who is our strong tower for help. Isn't that true? If it's off balance, if our understanding of the character of God, the Christian life, and the struggles, we'll, we'll think of the great book that's been written, the book of martyrs, for instance. Their understanding of the Christian life had to have balance, or there would be no book of martyrs. And they did not run everywhere in the day of affliction when their life was about to be taken from them. What I know to be true, and give you snippets of it, is that the church, according to Scripture, has this victory over death and over sin. We have that in Christ. But the, the, the war is won, I, I guess, in that respect over sin and death. But the war for the battle of souls is very much alive. It continues. And God promises within His Word that He indeed will wipe away our tears, doesn't He? Doesn't He say that? And, and our sorrows. And He'll make all things new. But here's the thing. That doesn't stand true today because it's not yet. It's not until, as the Bible calls, the end of age. And the main reason that it, that it isn't yet is, the Bible tells us, that, that Jesus has yet to return and put an end to sin and suffering. The reason he has is because he's not willing that any man or woman should perish. See, that's the heartbeat of Christ, and that should be the heartbeat of the church. We're not doing mission and giving ourselves a pile of work and heartache for the sake of it. We want to go after the lost. We want to be faithful to the gospel. 
as men and women were faithful to the gospel. And the very reason you're saved here this morning is because men and women of God of a time past were faithful with the things of God and the gospel, weren't they? That's why you're saved this morning. And the main reason the Lord has yet to come is because He's not willing that any man or woman shall perish. So here's the thing. God is holding off coming back and making all things new because there's men and there's women and there's boys and there's girls who are still in their sin and they're not saved. That's what the Bible teaches. And so therefore, he's, he's holding off. And if you're not saved today, understand this. He's holding off because of you, because of his love for you, because if he comes back, that day of grace, that open arm of salvation is drew back and salvation is no longer offered. It's no longer that cheap thing that we take it for today. It's such a rich, precious salvation. And we'll probably, in the world, will probably not realize that until it's withdrawn. But understand, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, the very reason the Lord has yet to come back is because He loves you. And His desire for you is to come to the knowledge of the truth. Acknowledge your sin and repent of it, as simple as that, and be saved. That's the love of God. And that's the reason He hasn't come back yet. But he must and will return again, the Bible teaches. And when he does, it says the righteous, that's the saved. We're not righteous, there's nothing righteous about us. We're righteous because of Christ. The saved will inherit what the Bible calls a new earth. And all that sin is destroyed will be restored. Now there's a promise. All that sin is destroyed will be restored at the end of age. But in the meantime, the church's task to trust Christ is not a hard thing to trust Christ. How difficult is that? Am I the only one that finds that a wee bit challenging? To trust what I can't touch and see. The church is tasked to trust, trust Christ who is the head of the church and who says he will keep her until that day. Listen, she is to be dependent. Church, we must be dependent upon Christ even in the day of trouble, of affliction. Now, Scripture brings balance to our faith and our understanding and to our affliction. If you're taking notes, I'm just going to shoot through some Scriptures, but here's one, Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of, the, out of them all. Now, Psalm 34 helps every generation of believers to be dependent upon the Lord. Why? Because it says the righteous will experience many afflictions, and affliction simply means pain, sorrow, and hardships, if you like. <clears throat> so, so, the righteous will experience these things. The trouble will come. But the Lord promises something to his, to his people. He says, listen, through all your afflictions, He says, I promise I will deliver you. Now, that can be hard to believe in the midst of it. But what the Word teaches, what the Holy Spirit promises, is that, that in all life, Right to the end, in all affliction, and all our hardships, the Lord promises never ever to run from us, never to flee from us and turn His back on us, but, but He promises to deliver her. Now imagine being in your deathbed and reminded of these truths. And if you're writing a wee note this morning, just one wee thought to help you, write it in your book and highlight it. Run to the Lord in the day of affliction. Affliction. It mightn't seem like much, but the day of trouble might come and you might be sitting looking at your notes someday wondering where God is and you'll see that wee title, Run to the Lord in the Day of Affliction. And Proverbs 18 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and they are saved. See, to be dependent on Jesus means we run to Him. 
for strength and for safety. And you know, all men at some point will suffer affliction. And according to this scripture, there, there's a difference. Now, now listen to what I'm, what I'm going to say here because only the word says it so clearly I wouldn't say it. But according to the scripture, there, there is a difference in how the Christian suffers and, and faces afflictions. Now, that's a big boast. It's not something that I would dare boast of if I didn't see it in the words. I know how fickle this man is, and I know how quickly I can run elsewhere in the day of trouble. But as a man who, who studied the word this week, this is what I see, that the Christian indeed does suffer differently. He suffers, or the church suffers with a type of divine, divine favor, if you like, around her. Now, you, you need to take this as truth this morning. Now, this divine favor seems to come down to a simple thing called communion with the Christian and with Christ. And here, it comes down to something so simple, but yet so hard. It comes down to prayer, the Bible teaches. Do you remember the prayer tower, tower that we, we spoke about last week to build in our lives? <clears throat> the Scripture teaches that reliance in Christ through prayer brings divine favor and affliction. I want to bring this out to you. Now, why is prayer so hard? Why does many Christians struggle with prayer? There's maybe something more spiritual behind it than we realize. But Psalm 55 says this, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you and he will never let the righteous be shaken. And what that's saying is bring your afflictions to the Lord in prayer and he will sustain you. There's promises in it. The Christian that prays according to this scripture will not be shaken. And you know, there's times that we need to pray because there's times we're shaken, isn't there? And there's times we're so shook and we're so fragile. And, and the one place that we perhaps realize we haven't visited is that closet place. And that's why I feel we need to look at this again. It's not something that we talk about doing because Christians talk about doing. It's something the Word says, if we do it, we will not be shaken according to the Scriptures. Listen, don't miss this because this divine favor it's for the praying Christian. I have to say this. <clears throat> if only we understood the favor that is gained for waiting on God and prayer privately and corporately. Now, now, prayer, John Bunyan said this, prayer will make a man cease from sin. Our sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. How wonderful is that? The prayer will make a man either cease from sin or sin will make a man cease from prayer. See, Satan tries to limit our praying. You know why? He knows our praying when it limits his schemes. Divine favor is poured out on the praying seat, or saint. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. That's divine favor and affliction. Psalm 62, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him, for God is our refuge define favor and affliction. Proverbs 16, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be achieved. Define favor in business. Define favor in life. 1 Peter 5, give all your worries and cares to God. Why? He cares for you. There's some of you here, you haven't been told that you're loved in years. There's some of you here that don't know what it is to be loved. That about be told you're loved. And the Bible says, the Father, the creator of heaven and earth says, listen, all your worries, all your afflictions, cast them to me. Why? 
because I care for you. I love you. And this is something that if we can understand the heart of the Father, it's enough to humble and break the hardest of hearts. Philippians 4, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Listen, now listen for the divine favor in this now. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because see, in the day of affliction, your heart and your mind will do all the wrong things. Do you ever notice that? The mind runs away with itself. The heart comes out with all this nonsense, and it goes in turmoil. But the Lord says, pray. I will settle the heart, I'll settle the mind, and I'll keep you that you will not be shaken. When we pray the peace of God, which is divine favor is given to us. Now listen, personal prayer opens the door to supernatural peace and affliction. Now it's very possible that the enemy has weakened the local church in a global scale by turning the hearts of God's people away from the simplicity of praying. Now listen, I want to say this, King Esther understood what it is to be in a nation that didn't pray. He was brought up in a home that didn't pray. His grandfather didn't pray. His mother didn't pray. No, she did pray. She prayed to all the idols of the land, but she never prayed to the Lord. And in our text, we read that King Asa is a praying man. And what we see is that the enemy is now at the door. And Christian, we need to understand that the enemy is never far away. And prayer is the only weapon that the church has according to the Word of God. Not our might, not our resources, not our wealth, not our friends. Prayer is the only thing that we have. And it's the only thing that doesn't cost us a cent. Think of that. Now, Judah's earthly weapons were about to be found wanting. Look at verse 9 in your Bible. So, so Sarah comes to the door of Judah. I want you to see this now. Stay with me if you can see this. He's an army of one million men. Your Bible might say a hundred or thousand, thousands, a million men and 300 chariots. Now, there's something in this verse that you and I need to see. The simple reason is it shows us our need of Christ in the Christian life. <clears throat> so what we see is King Esa and King Zerah, they're, they're both facing each other in the valley of Marisha. You see this in your Bible? On one side, there's King Zerah, and he has one million men of war, 300 chariots. On the other side is we King Esa. You see that in verse 8? He's got 300,000 men of war. They've got large seals and spears. It's very specific. He's also got 280,000 men with shields and bows. Now, what is that telling us? Let me tell you what it's telling us. Esa had 300,000 men with spears against 1 million men with spears. That's the simplicity of what that's teaching us. He had 280,000 men with bows against 300,000 chariots, which is likened to modern-day tanks. In my eyes and in the eyes of the world, Esau was a dead man. You see, his day of affliction was about to consume him. She, as a nation, was about to be dissolved into history and destroyed by an Ethiopian king of Egypt. Now, Judah had an enemy and the church has an enemy. Now, many of you are familiar that Egypt is symbolic of sin, Sin was a place, or Egypt was a place of bondage for Israel. 
And Satan is sometimes referred to as the king of Egypt. So when we see the king of Egypt come against God's people, it's very significant. It tells us that when the people of God are living for him, the enemy comes seeking to destroy the work. What's that in your life? The more you try to go on with God, the more you'll see the enemy come to your door, the more you need to build towers to pray at. It's a biblical method. Now, Satan, we're told, is that serpent of old. He's the enemy of the church. And Satan, like the army of Zerah, is powerful. And he was much stronger than God's people, Judah. And Asa understood that his own weapons were no match for the king. And what did he do, church? He prayed. Look at verse 11. Then Asa cried to the Lord his God. Do you see that? As simple as that. He cried to the Lord his God. And Asa turned to the Lord in his day of trouble. And you see, personal prayer, I guess it proves our reliance on Christ. But prayerlessness proves our reliance on self. 1 Peter 5, be watchful, church. Christian, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Here's the thing. A church with no watchtowers is open to attack. And prayerlessness in a life opens the door to what? Ungodly influence, as we've seen two weeks ago, or last week. And Ephesians 4 says this. Do not give the devil a foothold in your life. He goes on to say, put on the full armor of God so that you can make a stand against the enemy when he comes to your door. We need to be reliant on Christ. James 4 says, submit yourselves. There's a hard one. Submit yourselves. Then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, when we submit ourselves to God, you know what happens to us spiritually? We go from independence on self to dependence on Christ. And we see this shift with King Esa. Now, he's a man with many afflictions. There's a, a million strong army at his door. He fears for his life. He fears for the life of his children. And he fears for the lives of his people, Judah. But we're told that in his affliction, that he ran to the Lord and he received some divine favor. Now, I want to close with this last wee thought from you this morning. I say it's a very simple message about prayer and the remembrance of it and the need of it in our lives. And the last thought I want to ask this morning as we close is, who is it or, or what is it that you turn to for help in life? Where do you go in the day of trouble? And you know what I have noticed, and especially in the young generation, and most of the middle-aged generation, probably for all I know, every generation, I don't think I know anybody now outside of my Christian circles that is not addicted to marijuana, to drugs. I honestly don't think I know anybody. I've been in some business transactions, I've been talking to business owners, and I said that to someone one day, and I seen his face, and I realized that man himself texted, and I said, do you smoke just sometimes? What are you reliant on? We, we are ever, we're in a world that's ever more reliant on substances, on addictions to, to keep ourselves. And that'll just bring us into a place of bondage, a place of destruction, a place not a polar opposite of freedom. But freedom in Christ sets the, addict, the addict free. It sets the sinner free. 
But the subtleness of the enemy is this, to walk us into addictions, walk us into places of bondage. People now are turning to, to pharmaceuticals for help before they turn to God. We're going to see that next week. It happens to the very king himself. But who is it that we turn to for help? There's a question. Because when you realize where you turn to for help, there's your dependence. That's who we fully rely on in life. And, and that's why I feel that we have to consider this because Esther cried out to the Lord. Now, listen to what he said, O oh Lord, there is no one besides you. You see, he understood. He brought up in generations where people tried everything else but God and he's seen the destructive nature of it. And he said, you know something? I know, Lord, that there's no one besides you that what? Can help the powerless. You may find yourself in a place of powerlessness this morning, of defeat. We need to run to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's still the same power today to set men free. And where we turn to for help is important because many run here, they run there outside of Christ seeking help, but they fail to find the comfort that they need in their affliction. Now, when death surrounded uh, Judah, what we can be sure of, that fear and doubt and uncertainty entered in, and that can enter into us too. It can easily drive us away from God. To be self-reliant and to try and fix ourselves is natural. It's our natural response to affliction. But, but it's powerless to make a difference in our lives. That's why our lives aren't different. That's why our situation isn't different. If we don't run to the Lord for help, if we turn to these other things in life, how do we ever expect to be set free? We need to learn to wait on God again, personally, and to seek refuge and help in our own personal lives. The only place we can turn to to be saved and healed is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's quite clear within Scripture and in testimony. And I want to just ask this morning, how have you turned to that Lord Jesus yourself personally? Are you saved this morning? Have you your personal salvation with Him? Do you know what it is to repent of your sin? And are you looking elsewhere for, elsewhere for help in life? We need to look to the Lord. And if you're looking outside of Him this morning, can I encourage you to turn your focus on to God this morning, not in this world and its wee trips to, to help us in life. Now, Esa cried out, listen to what he said, Lord, there's no one beside you to help the parlous. Because here's a simple truth, there's no one who can help you and me outside of him. There's an old teaching that, is, that empowered the early church, and it's still got the power to empower the last day's church, and it's simply this prayer. Isn't it amazing? That prayer seems to be a theme right through all of our songs this morning. Unless the team got inside to my notes, I never said a word. And it was all, all about the need to pray, the battle. I, I fight on my knees. All these words coming out. Now, Christian, maybe today you are broken inside in many ways. <clears throat> For some, maybe tired with life, perhaps maybe cold in spirit. These things come, they're seasons. Maybe for some you're awakened by the relentless exposure to sin that's all around us just daily. Where do you turn for help? Where can we go to get this divine favor? Well, my simple message that's been laid in my heart for you and I this morning is this, to remind the church of the power of prayer, of waiting on God for themselves again. And I want to say to people here this morning, maybe your Christian life has been lacking. 
here's a wee simple word that has pressed my heart for somebody. Go home. Find a private space where there's no distractions. See, the enemy has filled our lives with distractions. I'm not sure if you've noticed. Distractions. Distractions keep us from spending time with our families. They stop us from looking after ourselves. They definitely, definitely stop us from praying and seeking God. Go home. Find a private space. Cast the phone away. Ask for a bit of privacy and wait and seek God for yourself. Amen, church. It's not profound, but it's a key to victory in our life. I will not be shaken, says the Lord. What's the psalmist say? Psalm 20. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. What does he say? But I trust in the name of Jesus. 